We're back. Potting. Pac-12 South Preview. I'm Rusty, joined by Ifo Bumaye. Just no research at all. We're, we're doing it live. I did research. I looked into this. So, I mean, yeah. so... Look who's cool. Right, so the South is, as pretty much everybody who's listening to this knows, Oregon only plays four teams out of the South. Um, basically, they missed two. Uh, this year, they're missing USC. Luckily. Luckily missing USC. And let me check which is the other one. And Arizona. Arizona State. Colorado. So Oregon's missing USC and Colorado this year um, out of the South. The South teams that Oregon's playing are UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State, um, and Utah. And Utah. Who now has Darren Carrington. No biggie. Sidebar. Yeah, whatever. Did you see Dwayne Carrington's uh, – Dwayne Carrington. Uh, Dwayne Stanford's tweets – uh no. He was talking about how he wanted to see Darren Carrington have the game of his life and just light up Oregon. Yeah, I mean I could see that. Like they're teammates and they were tight. Yeah. And there's and there's literally no like coaching affiliation anymore. But I still felt that was really weird to be like cuz I'm assuming Dwayne Stanford's still friends with like people on the team. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I I get it. I get both sides of it. Um, I'll reserve judgment. But yeah, anytime like your entire coaching staff turns over, I mean, that's why if you go to other schools, alums won't come back. You know that that's part of what made coming to Oregon so special is you would have alums from twenty years ago come back because they wanted to see. Coach Campbell or Coach Pelham, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I get that. I mean, you know, no hard feelings. Yeah. And actually, one of the things that's really stood out to me, too, um, to Taggart, like, one of the first things that he did is you saw him, like, meet with a lot of the old coaches. Like, he was meeting with, like, Bilotti and Brooks, and he's been really welcoming to having, like, a lot of the older players at practice. Yeah, there, there have been a ton of older players. I mean, off the top, top of my head... I know LaMichael's been back. I know DeAnthony's been back. I think I saw a picture of Jeff Mayo coming back. Yeah. Um, so it's it's been a lot of players, and, and one's even older than that, older than the, you know, 2007 to 2010 era. Yeah, Joey Harrington was there. Wesley Howard's been there. Coda's been there, obviously, because his son is also Chase Coda, who's getting recruited. Um. But I think uh, I think he really understands uh, Taggart. That is understands that a huge part of Oregon's success is based on like continuity. Yeah, I really appreciate that, and it's just another good sign. I mean, you you look at all of the things that are going well recruiting, all that type of stuff. Um, 
it, it's just another really good time. Right. So I think that might be a good sp- place to start because basically we're recording this now on uh, Monday, July 31st. Oh my god. Uh, click open up one open up one tweet from uh, a recruit who's tweeting out a bunch of stuff about Oregon <laughs> and just get blasted by 24/7. Thanks 24/7. Can't get on a single page without my speakers getting blown out. Um, now it feels like to be a five-star 18-year-old athlete. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there was Saturday Night Live a couple days ago. I've heard mixed reviews on what it was actually like attending it because they didn't have rosters or announcements or anything. Um, so it was you're just kind of watching people get... I can't open up a single page in 24-7 without, without noise coming out. Um, it's called a mute button. Just say it. Yeah, but then I can't hear anything in my headphones. When, yeah. when we're talking. Regardless. Right. Regardless. Um, but a lot of commitments came out of the came out of the weekend. I don't want to get too much into like high schoolers' opinions and everything on where they want to go to college, but just the entire the like whole websites were just full of like so and so commits to Oregon, so and so commits to Oregon. And it's just like this is this is absolutely absurd. This is crazy. We're still really long ways away from February. Although people can actually sign uh, letters of intent now in December, I think. Yes, the early signing period this year. The thing that impressed me most, and um, I live out of state, so I didn't go to Saturday Night Live, obviously. Um, but I did see photos and coverage of it. Um, the fact that so many fans came out to that event speaks really well about our program. And I'm sure that that's something that recruits will notice. Oh, yeah. Um, now, it, it may be something where, where practices have been closed for so long that fans are just starved to get a sense of practice. Um, so maybe that helped. But if you're thinking about going to different schools and you come out and they're there's a couple thousand people there just to watch you practice and you're a recruit. Uh, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, that, that says a lot about our fan base and it's all positive in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of excitement about this and it's, yeah, like, like you said too, it's really only enhanced also by the kind of exposure to the program especially through like social media and stuff like that where we can always feel like there's something going on like with the team it's not like just absolute darkness between like between games where we like only have practice reports and that's it but we get like tweets and like all the coaches are much more accessible and everything so I mean this we're basically the program is basically turning into like the NFL or the NBA where there is no option Good. Good. I'm glad about that. Wait. Totally cool with Just shoot it up. Right yeah, into my seriously. vein. <laughs> shoot it up. Right into the vein. Um, so that was a huge takeaway. Um, 
And then there's just like there's just so much recruiting stuff just getting rumored about. Was it there was one other topic I think we wanted to discuss before we moved on to the to the division? Yes. Uh practice report, they won. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. By the time you hear this, there's gonna be another uh probably gonna be at least three others up. But I think we we both agreed before we record we have like thirty minute conversations before we actually record. Um but splitting it up into like a freshman practice and a varsity practice, such a smart idea. Yeah, that I, that's one thing that I really like. Um, obviously, it's not sustainable long term. Um, in terms of getting a training camp, especially freshmen who weren't able to come out for spring ball. Um, I, I really like splitting practice between freshmen and returners um, just to get freshmen reps, get them ingrained in the culture, in the scheme. Um, I, I really like that. Other things that I are takeaways that I either heard about or saw on Twitter or whatever um, was uh, Thomas Graham Jr. lining up as a starter, that was is a really good sign to me. Um, I mean, it's he he must be playing really well if he <laughs> has basically already taken Amadi's spot. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a long way to go to to the first game, but that that was really impressive. Uh, Lamar Winston Jr. starting in the duck linebacker spot instead of Leatu. Um, that bodes really well, especially considering how well Leatu played during spring ball. Uh, and then Kyrie Robinson starting uh, instead of Brendan Schooler at the safety spot was interesting to me. Uh, <coughs> mostly because Schooler was one of the guys last year that even when half the team, it seemed like, quit, Schooler definitely did not. I mean, we the last pod we did, we were talking about the Washington game for a little while. Uh, he was the one of the guys that was chewing people out, and yeah. he was a true. Yeah. So, um, I think that's interesting. Uh, I don't necessarily think that will last because I think Schooler has a lot of talent. Um, yeah. But if it does, I mean, I'm all for competition. If if one guy is playing better than the other, go ahead and have him start. I'm great with. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting times. Exciting times. Now we get daily practice reports. This is awesome. Love it. We just get to hear from Rob every day, which I'm sure is the commentary. It's uh, just favorite part yeah. of the whole season. Yeah. All right. Everybody so loves Rob. Everyone loves Rob. All right. So let's get to the, the South. Um, obviously, USC is top dog here uh they went 10 and 3 last year with a huge win over penn state in the rose bowl which is one of the most exciting games probably top three four most exciting game of the year uh, that was yeah that was such a fun game yeah and three of their four loss and three of their losses all came in the first four weeks um, one was to alabama which you know is like alabama um stanford and then utah where uh, the 
pa- offensive pass interference for Utah just seemed to be a, a non-existent rule. Just that's one of the things I remember. It's just just Utah receivers just constantly pushing off. It was a wrestling match. It was not a football game. Yeah. Uh, but that's yeah with Pac-12 refs sometimes. You know, I honestly I am not as sold on USC as I've seen a lot of people be. Um, for a couple reasons. Um, now we'll, we'll talk about the rest of the South later. I think that they are going to win the South mostly because I think the South is not that good of a conference or not that good of a division. Um, but I think there are a lot of question marks about USC. Uh, Number one, yes, they played really well last year. Yes, they finished very strong. Yes, they have a sophomore quarterback coming back who lit the world on fire in their last nine games. Um, I mean, they averaged 40 points a game over their last nine games where they went undefeated. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. At the same time, they lost a lot of weapons. Uh, they lost Juju Smith-Schuster, who will forever be a legend for pointing out the Utah cornerback and then shoving him out of bounds. Yeah, talking about uh, calling your shot, that was just the ultimate like thug life moment from... Oh, yeah, that was great. <laughs> and it was that particular player, uh, too, because that defensive so back was talking trash in the offseason. Tim, they lost... It's just great. It's it, it made me so happy. It, it just got better and bit more you knew about the backstory. Alongside Adore Jackson, they lost three of their offensive linemen. And as good as Sam Darnold and Ronald Jones II in their backfield may be, we all know if you don't have a line, especially playing a pro-style offense where they're not really getting the ball out of their quarterback's hand quickly, um, that can really ruin things really quickly. Um, so, now, with that being said, USC is always going to have talent. They Last year, they were one of the most efficient offenses in the country. And just like Washington State, they didn't have a ton of explosive plays. Mm-hmm. Um, but unlike Washington State, who's had quarterback Luke Falk there forever... Darnold is just coming in. Jones is still relatively young. I think he's a junior off the top of my head. Um, so this this offense can grow and become more explosive. I just have questions about about their team. I, I you know I don't think that they're set in stone stone solid gold. You know, automatically going to be in the Pac-12 championship. Um, I think they're just helped by the fact that the Southern Division is pretty weak, or there's at least a lot of parity. Yeah, yeah, it's there's a lot of question marks across every team except USC for me. I'm very high on them. I think this could also be a situation where, uh, like we saw with Gene Chizik, possibly to an extent with uh, Mark Helfrich. Having an elite quarterback will make up for a lot of other faults elsewhere on the team. 
And this could easily be a situation, I think, where Sam Darnold is such such an absolute baller that he's basically bringing up the entire offense with him. So, and, like, I think that's a great point about, like, the offensive line and that they lost three starters. But it's like they have five-star linemen who are just filling in the gaps behind them. So, then some of the backups that are, like, taking the place also got a fair yeah. amount of experience in the past. So, but obviously it's, it's, they're, they were starters for a reason. So. Yeah. I mean, with, with that being said, um, certainly they have a lot of talent. USC is always going to have talent. Um, I mean, they're, according to Bill C, their five-year recruiting rank is fourth nationally. I mean, they're, they're going to have a lot of talent to fill people in. Um, my main thing is I, I think USC is being just like we've seen in past years. They're kind of being preemptively crowned. It's um, at least the Southern Division, but everybody that looks at the Pac-12 is automatically saying, okay, it's going to be USC and it's going to be Washington in the Pac-12 championship and, and we'll see who wins. Um I I just don't necessarily I wouldn't take that step right away. I still think they're probably they're probably a ten and two team, um, maybe even higher than that. But um, I don't know. You know, it's if they were to go up against uh, an Alabama or um, an Ohio State or some of these other really top tier programs, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure it would fare. Yeah, so their schedule is pretty favorable. Their over-under is 9.5. I have them over. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah, so they host Western Michigan, host Stanford, host Texas. Early season Stanford's tough. That's, that's always kind of a toss-up, though, because like last year in the first few games, they were still trying to figure out like who their quarterback was. Um, or they, still had, yeah, and, uh, they had still, still had some growing pains at that point. Maybe it's just anecdotal, but I feel like early season Stanford, if I was playing Stanford, I would want to play them early. Um, I want because I feel, I feel like early season Stanford is always trying to kind of figure out, especially this year with Keller Christ coming back for, I mean, he, it's basically this is going to be his, what, his fifth game that he's ever played in college football against USC. Um, I would much rather play Stanford early this year than play them in like week nine or ten where they really have an opportunity to get rolling. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And then they get rebuilding Texas at Cal at Washington State on a Friday. I mean, things can get weird in Pullman, but I don't think that's... <laughs> There's a lot to overcome for the uh, the Palouse. Um, hosting Oregon State, hosting Utah... I mean, that's really the kind of the, the interesting two-game stretch there. Because I think if they beat Stanford, they're going to go... I mean, I think there's only two games that they could possibly lose, and that's if Notre Dame is a huge bounce-back team, which many think they are. I think they are. I don't think they're going to be amazing, but I think they're going to yeah, be well, a huge improvement. Um, is Stanford, Notre Dame... Um, and 
I don't know, UCLA is always a wild card. They're always the team that could fix themselves at any point in time and become dominant, but they just seem to be unable to. So, but hosting Utah, then Edward or Dame is going to be weird. Yeah, UCLA is always the sexy pick, but they finish up the regular season with UCLA, and at that point, UCLA could be a giant dumpster fire, and Mora could be either fired or have taken a job elsewhere. So, um, I'm not I'm not holding my breath for UCLA to beat them. Um, I would think that the games that would really be difficult for USC, again, just like you said, Stanford at Notre Dame, maybe Washington State because it's on a Friday and it's away, maybe Texas if they really like Tom Herman and they start rolling. But, uh, you know, that that's one of those things where Texas is always going to have talent, but UCLA at this point, their recruiting ranking compared to Texas is so much better over the last four years where even if things don't go that well schematically, they can fall back on talent. You know what I just realized looking at USC's schedule? They don't have a bye week. That's odd. They play on the 2nd, 9th, 16th, 23rd, 29th, which is the Friday, then October 7th, 14th, 21st, 28th, and then November 4th, 11th, and 18th. They don't have a bye week. Yeah, I mean, they, they could be banged up by the end of the year, but at the same time, their end of the year schedule, it, their last four weeks are not difficult. I mean, at Arizona State, hosting Arizona, at Colorado, UCLA, I wouldn't really be super about any of those if I was a Trojan fan. Yeah, none of those really strike the heart of strike fear into the heart of anybody. I don't think. At least, I mean, the ones that, I mean, the only one that could be tricky in that group is UCLA, and that's an if. I really like USC. Basically, I really like USC. I think they're going to win the conference. Um, man, this is probably going to be the last year that they have Sam Darnold. Um, fingers crossed. So, but I think they're going to hit the nine and a half over easy. I would agree with that. I really don't see. I mean, if they make it past Stanford on September 9th, I think it's pretty much a lock that they'll be over. So now that we're both in agreement on USC, let's wait into the morass that is the rest of the Pac-12 South. Yeah. Um, who does the media have coming in second in the South? Ooh. My guess is either Utah or UCLA if they really want to try and get get sexy on them. I think off the top of my head, I think it was. Um, or no, it wouldn't be Utah. Utah is kind of rebuilding. Yeah, let me, okay. I think it was UCLA. Just off the top of my head. No, it was Utah. Utah got a first place vote. Good for them. Huh. All right, so Utah's over-under is six and a half. What is your initial reaction to that? I know that they have Darren Carrington. Um, 
I do not think that Utah is going to be very good this year. I mean, they, they keep finding ways to win, um, and, and they do have um, a really strong defense that flies around and creates havoc. Um, but they're replacing an offensive coordinator. Their quarterback situation has never been um, so. You know, how good is Darren Carrington if he doesn't have anybody to get into the ball? Yeah. Um, if if I was gonna guess, I'd probably say that Utah wins five games. Yeah, I think I have. Um, this one's tough. This is such a good line. Um, so they're playing North Dakota at BYU, hosting San Jose State at Arizona, hosting Stanford, hosting USC. Or no, at USC, hosting Arizona State at Oregon, hosting UCLA, hosting Washington State at Washington, hosting Colorado. See the so they're switching to a spread offense. Uh, a much bigger spread offense, uh, which could help Troy Williams more um, with it being, I think, simplified in a way, but he really struggled last year. His completion percentage was 53.1%, and he threw 15 touchdowns to eight interceptions. Um, he really struggled at times getting the ball around. And, yeah, like you said, they have Darren Carrington now, but, you know, how – how well is that going to work for them? Because um, the they only have one. They only have one lineman returning. The the more concerning thing to me about their switch to an offensive coordinator that's going kind of spread up tempo is the effect that it will have on their defense. Yes, um, this team since been in the Pac-12 has has prided themselves on this and their ability to slow the game down, muddy it up, make the game really physical and take the ball away. And switching to a spread, as we well know, being fans of Oregon, I mean, you, you can't necessarily play that 100% super aggressive defense all the time when you have an offense that's going up tempo on the other side of the ball. Yeah. Or yeah, it's just you just can't keep up that kind of a pace the entire game. And their their strength has always been their line. Um like with there's every year they just pump out tons of draft choices on both the offensive and defensive line, mostly def- the defensive line. But their defensive planning is going to be completely different this year. Um, the thing about it is, too, it, on, on the defensive end of the ball, um, I think that, so recruiting-wise, they had a lot of high three-star or four-star JUCO defensive backs because they lost a lot in their secondary. Um, now, I think I think that that will pay dividends when it comes time to late October and November. But for those early games where they play at BYU, they play at Arizona, which Arizona is struggling, but they still have weapons. They host Stanford. 
you know, those first five weeks of the season, those are three losable games. And if you have a secondary that hasn't gelled yet and is giving up big plays, uh, that that could get ugly real quick. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think they'll be fine with Arizona just because Arizona is so one-dimensional right now. BYU is going to be tough. Stanford is going to be tough. Um, and then they follow up Stanford at USC. Yeah, that's a really hard back-to-back. That's a tough back-to-back. Um, so I have them under let's go through barely. I, I don't know. Utah is tricky. I don't think that this new offensive coordinator is going to fix the problems um, because there's a lot of... Unless you make the argument that some of the guys are just not in the are just not set up for success, basically, kind of like our DBs last year, like Arian Springs and a couple of those guys. I think they're great players, but they were just not set up for success. I think it could be that Troy Williams is a quarterback who just was not in the right system or not in the right fit. So. Um, I mean, their offensive coordinator was the one at Eastern Washington last year. So it's going to be a lot yeah, more but passing. But I don't know if Utah's set up for that kind of offense. Let, let's go through their schedule. Okay. All right. So we got a little bit of lag right now. Um, but they host North Dakota, 94% win probability. At BYU, 45% win probability. San Jose State, 86% win probability at Arizona, 52% win probability. Hosting Stanford, 26%. At USC, 13%. Arizona State, 60%. At Oregon, 30%. Hosting UCLA, 50%. Hosting Washington State, 53%. At Washington, 18%. Colorado, 58%. So I'm thinking... They're underdogs in five of those games. So I, I think they beat North Dakota, obviously. I think they lose to BYU. I think they beat San Jose State. Yeah. I think they probably beat Arizona. And I think that's that a nail. I only think that because Arizona has known, shown no ability to pass the football. And the Utah front is going to be able to take advantage of that, knowing Arizona is only going to be able to run the football. So through September, I have them 3-1. and one. Then they go Stanford, USC. That's back-to-back losses in my book. Yeah. Arizona State is probably a win. Yeah. Oregon, I think they lose. Fingers. Yeah, we'll, we'll just assume that. Obviously, we're biased, so we'll just say they lose to Oregon. UCLA, I think they probably lose. Yeah, but State, I, I'm I'm a little bit higher on Washington State than I'm at, I am on Utah, so I think they probably lose when they I, host Washington State. I think they beat Washington State, and then and, then, and, and then they because, go at Washington and yeah. they host. Yeah, and I think they beat Washington State for a similar reason to Arizona, where. Washington State is going to be very one-dimensional. And if you can get a solid pass rush with three to four people against Washington State, you're going to be in a really good spot. And I think Utah's going to be able to do that. I think that's true. 
But at the same time, I think that Utah's defensive line and their linebackers are their strength. And if you can pressure Luke Falk, especially with Washington State's history of um, uh, or sorry, it, Washington State has a really good line. Um, and I think if you, if they can pressure Utah's quarterback, I think that'll pay dividends. Yeah. I kind of lost where I was going there. Yeah. You get what I'm saying. Right, right. Okay. Um, so Utah's tricky, but and it's just there's so many unknowns because they're changing their offense, which is going to significantly impact the defense. It's going to make their stats look worse. So... I have them under at six. I have them under six and a half. I would agree with that. All right. Next up on the Pac-12 list was UCLA, the team that is one. This is like this is the year team. This is like the Pac-12 Texas. Yeah, I don't. Uh, again, I mean, it, it, we're going to keep coming back to this in the in the south but there are so many question marks with ucla um you know josh rosen came in as this savior of a quarterback but again if you don't have anyone around you and especially if you have a run game a run game on offense that is quite literally almost the worst in college football yeah you're gonna have problems yeah yeah exactly and it's one of those things too where josh rosen's coming off of an injury which is why they largely went four and eight is because he didn't play most of the year they have nine starters back on offense but you know it's the same guys who had one of the worst running attacks last year so I'm not really sure it's going to be that much better. Um, sure, experience helps, but last is last. <laughs> like, it's not like I'm expecting, like, oh, yeah, you know, a lot of these Oregon guys are much better defensively. They're going to really turn this thing around to be a top defense right away. Hey, you don't say that about Arian Springs. <laughs> yeah, you don't say that. He's going to be great. <laughs> um. And I mean, their schedule's tough too. Their over under is six and a half. I have them under, because um, they play Texas A and M, um, but then they're at Memphis, which could be a really tough game. Followed immediately by at Stanford, um, and then they host Colorado the following week. That could be a really tough three week stretch. And Hawaii, my Rainbow Warriors. They could be really good this year, relatively for their conference. I don't think that's. Uh, I don't think. I think that's a, a win, probably a safe, very safe win. But I wouldn't say it's one hundred percent certainty. But man, I'm just looking at the rushing and efficiency that I charts, have. and it's, they look bad. No explosiveness. The busy schedule is the amount of very difficult road games they have. I mean, yeah. I, I think that I think that they probably end up, just like I said, I think they probably end up beating Utah, 
when they play at Utah on November 3rd. But going to Utah is a, as we all know, I mean, that that's a very hard trip to make. Um, going at Washington, that's hard. At Stanford is hard. At Memphis, when you're flying across the country, is hard. At USC is hard. Um, I mean, I, what's their over under? Six and a half. This is why the South is difficult, because somebody's got to win these games, but I don't have any confidence in them to do that. I mean, I, I think they probably lose to Texas A&M. They probably beat Hawaii. I would say they probably lose to Memphis, but who knows? And then they probably lose to Stanford. I think they'll definitely lose to Stanford. I think they have a good chance of beating Colorado. I, I, I think Colorado is pretty much rebuilding this year. Um, they can kind of rebuild from that Stanford loss by beating Colorado and Arizona back to back. Um, the game against Oregon when they host Oregon, I would love to say that I would be really confident in Oregon to beat them, but um, is healthy, depending on how our secondary is playing, who knows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then again, you finish up with three out of their last five weeks are killers. I mean, they go at Washington, at Utah, host Arizona State, at USC, host Cal. I think you could probably safely say that they beat Cal and Arizona State. They probably safely lose to USC and Washington, and then that Utah game is up in the air, in my opinion. Yeah. If I had to guess, if if I was betting, I would say under six and a half for for the Bruins. And what does that mean? If they go under six and a half, is Jim Mora at? Yeah. That after six years of the Jim Moore experiment, of him yelling at his offensive coordinators, has he really been there six years already? Sorry, say that again. You kept cutting in and out. Twenty-four going into this year. Which seems better than I thought it. Yeah, it was there. It was in 2012. They went nine and five. 2013, they went ten and three. 2014, they went ten and three. 2015, they went eight and five. And last year, when Josh Rosen went down, uh, they went four and eight. Man, part of me though thinks that they could really rebound because they were really close. Uh, at the very beginning of the year, they were a few plays away from being 6-0. and I'm just looking at their close losses. Uh, and that's 1, 2, 3, 4. Four losses within one score. Yeah, this team is just, such a, it's just so tough to get a read on. That would be a good sign if I thought that they were really growing. But when you have one of the worst run games in, in all of college football, I just don't have any confidence that you're going to build on that in a meaningful way to turn those close losses into close wins. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically, if, it basically turns out to, do you think Jim Mora and the coaching staff kind of has this thing figured out this year? And I do not think so. 
and the thing about it is too, you know, it's, I, I know based on the conversation we just had about Utah that, you know, I'm, I'm not up on either Utah or UCLA, but I have more faith In Utah? Yeah. Yeah, sorry, you cut out just for just a second there. Um, I, I think... <coughs> I almost feel like it's going to be both, both UCLA and Utah are over or under six and a half. One of these is going to be over and one of these is going to be under. Can they both be under? I don't know. I mean, I, I think mathematically, uh, probably not. No, because Arizona, I think, are going to be under. And Arizona State, um, I think, is also going to be under. I mean, I'm just. Boy, way to give away the show, Gary. <laughs> Oops. Sorry. Uh, God, this division okay, is just guys. such a mess. You could just stop listening now. We're we're just we're just down on everyone in the South. This division. Let's, let's is move just... on. All right. All uh, right. Who, who who's next in the media poll? Colorado. To, uh... Oh man. This is the <laughs> ultimate regression team. So yeah. Basically, McIntyre, amazing season. He they won more games last year uh, more conference games last year than they did in the previous three years combined so they went four and eight two and ten four and nine and then ten and four and that was largely based off of a incredibly senior heavy team especially on defense they only have three returning starters back on defense um, they lost a lot of guys to the NFL Jim Leavitt is now at Oregon. Fist bumps, Pepsi's for everybody. Um, and it's, uh, you really wonder just exactly to how much of a help uh, Sefo was on offense. I mean, uh, so last year, Jordan absolutely, uh, or Steven Montez, absolutely shredded Oregon um, I mean a lot of people did but he looked good um, once he got past uh, the Michigan game um, which he was just really not prepared for but I think this is like the ultimate regression team where they might have just really outperformed themselves last year the thing to me that I, th- I think will determine Colorado's season and how much success they can have will be how they rebound from losing three of their starting quarterbacks. Or, sorry, not quarterbacks, but secondary members. Right. Uh, um, so, they lost um, what are their names? So, they lost Chidobe Awuzi. Please part of my pronunciation, Akella Witherspoon and Tedrick Thompson, all to the NFL. Um, last year, those three combined 
had nine tackle for loss, first sacks, 58 passes defended, and three force fumbles. And none of them missed a game. That's the other thing is that they were so they had so few injuries last year on defense. Yeah, I mean that's that's incredible production, and even if all three of those guys came back, you would expect them to regress a little bit with the same guys, much less trying to put new secondary members in there. Now, what they do have going for them at, at the same time, though, is most of their offense, other than Sefa Lufau is back. Their running back, Philip Lindsay, is back. They have a really good wide out. Shea Fields is back. Um, and, and Steven Montez, just like you were saying, he, he looked pumping up when he played last year. So that'll help. But I just don't know how, how you, how much you Sorry, you're going to start over at uh, how much. You don't know how much. Second year. Now, luckily for them, however, they start out with a relatively easy schedule. Uh, so they... My goddamn Wi-Fi. You're going to have to cut this out. Yeah, all right. Hold on. Pause for one second so I can make some clap sounds. Can you hear Yeah, I can hear you. All right, cool. So the last thing you said was, um, you're not, you don't know if. Okay. So go ahead and go. Whenever you're ready. I just don't know if you can trust their secondary to pick up the slack that quickly when they're replacing so much. And I don't know if you can trust their offense to carry their defense while they kind of find their legs. Um, Now, what they do have going for them, though, is a relatively soft early schedule. Um, They start out against Colorado State in the Rocky Mountain Showdown. Now, Colorado State is supposed to be much better this year. I I think they're actually – CSU is favored in that game by S&P. But last year, Colorado just beat the ever-loving hell out of Colorado State. Then the next two weeks, they play Texas State and Northern Colorado. Those are both wins. And then the fun starts because then they host Washington. They travel to UCLA. They host Arizona. And then they travel to Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, Arizona State, USC, and Utah. Um there's a little bit of reprieve in there when they have this series of, you know, Cal three weeks, but finishing up against USC and Utah could be, be pretty different. Yeah. I mean, luckily they have a buy between USC and Utah. Um, but I really think their offense is going to be able to keep pace with what it was doing last year. Um, even even with Cepho departing, it's just their defense that I think is going to just have 
so much to replace that it's just not going to be enough when you play some of those upper echelon teams. So what do you think compared to their over-under? The over-under for Colorado is 7.5. I have them under. Wow. Yeah, that's... um, Considering how much they're replacing on the back end, that seems a little bit audacious to me, and I'm going under. I think it's like 7. If this was 6.5 or 6, I would say over. So, because I'm just looking at Colorado State. I don't know how you feel about that one. Sorry, you cut out there. Oh, how how do you feel about the Colorado State game, which is like that season opener? Because it is their basically their built-in rivalry game. Yeah, so the Colorado State game is really interesting to me. Um, I have Colorado State winning that game for one principal reason. Um, last year, the Colorado State CU game was a couple games into the season for both teams. This year, Colorado State is opening their schedule against Oregon State, like we talked about in our Pac-12 North preview. Yeah, and that game is August 26th. The Colorado State game for Colorado is their first game of the season on September 1st, and. At least early in that game, especially with how much they're replacing on the defensive end, CU is going to need all the help they can get with getting those guys acclimated. So I have Colorado State winning that game. Okay. Yeah, this one is... I just think the variables that were the biggest parts were the seniority on it, the experience on the team... Um, and they basically lose that this year on defense. So, um, I mean, the guys coming in, a lot of them are juniors, but they're all they were all backups last year, basically. Um, so let's go if, ahead. If I had guess, yes, I think that Colorado probably finishes third in the South Division. I think they probably finish above and below kind of sandwiched in between UCLA and Utah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, Arizona State. Um what's their over under? 5 Wow, five. Uh, I think they probably go. Man, I was going to say over, but I'm looking at the schedule and I don't know. Yeah, that's the problem because they're out of conference games are San Diego State and Texas Tech. You know, I think that they probably win one of those two games. Um, okay. And they're they going to be new, new Mexico State in the opener. Yep. I think they lose to Oregon. They lose to Stanford. They lose to Washington, which is it. And then they travel to Utah. I think they lose that as well. They lose to USC. I mean, that's, that is a brutal five game stretch. I think that they, I want to say they 
win against Colorado because, I mean, how many games can you lose in a row? But I don't have any faith in them to do that. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the under on the five wins because even oh. if they finish up beating Oregon State and beating Arizona, that's what, four wins? Yeah, yeah. If they split it, they beat New Mexico State, split San Diego State and Texas Tech, so that's two. And then the game is over Oregon State and Arizona. That would make it four. And then you're looking for one win somewhere else out of that schedule, out of that list that you just gave. And by that time, you know, the key there, in my opinion, is the Colorado game on November 4th. And by that time in the year, like I said, when we were talking about Colorado secondary, the guys that are coming in are, are talented, but they're just all new. By November 4th, I think they gel. I think they have enough talent on defense. Arizona State has always been really going back to Vontaze Perfect. But they have no secondary. I mean, they – did they lose Berkovici? Their quarterback? Bergovici? I believe they did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, was a couple so, of years ago. I mean, they, they have to replace. Yeah, last year their quarterback I just... was Manny Wilkins. Um, and then a couple guys. Sure. But, and then just like looking at some of these numbers, though, like Kalen Bellage, like he has 571 yards of offense, or 536. With 14 touchdowns, but like 200 of that, 200 of his yards, and eight of those touchdowns came in one game. The thing that'll be interesting, though, is um, now, and he did not play well last year, um, but Arizona State does have a transfer coming in at quarterback from Alabama in Blake Barnett. Um, which, you know, I, I, the Alabama name maybe maybe me having me think that he's better than he actually was, because I remember at least early in the year, especially against USC, he took a ton of sacks. He held onto the ball way too long. Um, you know, obviously there's talent there if he played at Alabama and he started for Alabama. Uh, I just have no faith in Todd Graham or his Britney Spears microphone to be able to win more than five games this year. It's pretty Spears microphone. Yeah. Um, and one of the things they've been really doing right now is just uh, they've been basically changing out coaches and coordinators. And he didn't get his uh, contract renewed for another year. Because normally they just revisit it every year, which is maybe the most – I don't think there's – a much more stressful way of going about being a coach than just having it constantly being renewed one year at a time. Um, but it wasn't renewed. Uh, when you're swapping out coordinators, that pretty much means the next thing that's happening is that the administration is swapping out head coaches. Um, and one of the things that Arizona State really did is just one of the heaviest blitzers in the in the conference. And the go bigger go home strategy really worked out 
you know, in like 2013, 2014, but it had really, it burned him most of the time last year. Um, so, I mean, they got a lot of seniors on defense that are really going to need to step up. Um, but I just don't think, like, the offense is going to be significantly better than it was last year. And I don't think the defense is going to be significantly better either. Um, you know, it's just... Yeah, it's having, a, senior, having seniors on defense help. Having seniors on defense only helps if they're actually good. Right. So, a la UCLA's offense. Uh, let's yeah. make Arizona, because I think Arizona and Arizona State are in a race to be the worst team in the South. I've, this pause super negative, man. Wow. So, I, I have a fun fact for you. Okay. Um, Arizona... What's their over-under this year? Five and a half. I'm so confident okay, about so that. so last year... I'm as confident about USC going over last, nine and a half as Arizona going under five and a half. So last year, Arizona went three and nine. Yes. Uh, we all know how last year season went for the Oregon Ducks. It was only three years ago in the 2014 Pac-12 championship that we were playing Arizona to go to the Rose Bowl. That's crazy. Life comes at you fast. Yeah, it does. But the problem, for Arizona at least, is um, they have not changed head coaches. They have no recruiting momentum, whereas at least we have something to look forward to. I mean, their offense could be good. Um, You know, they have Nick Wilson. They have um, a, a really good skill plus position player in J.J. Taylor. Um, but their defense has been probably one of the most injured and terrible defenses in the Pac-12. And, and that's saying something over the last two years or so. Um, yeah, I, I'm definitely going under on that. And it's... It's really a toss-up whether Arizona or Arizona State is going to be the worst team in the Pac-12 South. Personally, I think that Arizona State will probably take that title because I think Arizona has a bit more talent and I have more um, confidence in Rich Rod, but not by much. Um, I do not have confidence in Rich Rod, and they have been completely unable to get any kind of a passing offense going. Last year, their two wins were over Grambling State, and Grambling State pushed them to the edge until the very end, and Arizona went in as 45-point favorites. Their other win was over... That was a really good Yeah, their, their other win was over Hawaii uh, the following week, and then their last win was against Arizona State, which... And again, which they only threw eight passes, which is fine because they ran the ball 48 times for 511 yards at 10.6 yards a carry. Forks up. <laughs> yeah, forks up. Um, it's just... You know, uh, the, the, the one thing that does have going for them is their schedule... Compa- at least compared to the trash fire this Arizona State schedule, 
their schedule is not that bad. So they open at Northern Arizona, or they host Northern Arizona, which is a win. They host Houston, which a year ago, I would say that Houston would have beat the brakes off them. Uh, this year, now that they don't have Tom Herman, I think that's more of a toss-up. I think Houston probably ends up winning that game, but um, it'll be closer than it would have been last year. Uh, they traveled to UTEP, which is, I don't know why they even would have scheduled that game. Um, then they host Utah. They go to Colorado. They host UCLA. After a bye week. Colorado after yep. a bye. They travel to Cal. Which is a win, They I host think. Wazoo. They travel USC, because if you're going to get beat, you might as well make it on the road. And then they host Oregon State. And then they travel to Oregon and to Tempe to Arizona State. I think, at least compared to Arizona State, where they have that horrendous five-game stretch, Arizona's schedule comparatively is much easier. Yeah. Yeah, because there's no real stretch where like, oh man, that's just terrible. Even then, I think they probably win four games out of this. I think that's fair. Yeah, Northern Arizona. Yeah, I think four is fine. Five is... I can't see them winning six games on the schedule. That's the way I look at it. I just can't see them winning six games. It takes a pretty big leap to go from three and nine, where they are barely passing effectively, to winning six games. So yep, it's, this I mean, will just be another tried. Right. So I think like the biggest thing of the South is it's is it's like if this team does this, then they'll beat the odds. If this team does this, then they'll beat the odds. Like if Arizona can figure out how to pass, they're going to do much better. They're going to be well over five and a half. Uh, if Arizona State is able to get some hold on its defense, um, stop like actually making some big plays uh, basically doing some booming instead of all the busting that they've done the last two seasons then they'll be then they'll be over you know if UCLA is able to kind of like live up to its recruits potentials uh, and Josh Rosen is able to perform well for an entire season then you know they're going to be over Uh, but there's just so many question marks with these teams and you just don't know which one is going to which which one is going to pan out you know someone has to win these games the Pac-12 South is just a conference of uncertainty, uncertainty to me. And that's even though I'm not necessarily as high on USC as I've seen other people be. Like me. I don't think that there is any question that USC wins this division because of how mediocre the other teams are. Yeah. It's like USC and then everybody else is kind of going to be in the 4 to 7, like... The four and eight to seven and five win area. Yep, and, and that's why I have USC winning the conference because compared to Washington, who has to go through, you know, I wouldn't call the North a gauntlet. Um, certainly, not compared to where it was a couple years ago with Oregon and Stanford being two top five national powers. Right, but there's uh, some tricky there's there's tricky teams to it. 
Exactly. You play you know, Stanford like, and Washington State, which are two teams that couldn't be much more dissimilar from each other. Well, and, and those those teams at the bottom of the conference are raising their game. You know, yeah. Colorado rose their game. Washington State is not the complete doormat that they used to be. Even Oregon State towards the end of last year, um, they were running teams over, ourselves included. Yeah. So um, USC certainly has the easier path to the championship, and for that reason, that's why I'm picking USC to win the Pac-12 in 2017. Yeah. Yeah, I just think their line play is going to be so good, and Darnold is just going to be so good that it's just – that really makes up for – when you get down to it, football is played from the inside out. And you need great quarterback play unless you have five stars at every other position like Alabama. And luckily enough for USC, they do have five stars at every other position. Exactly. Exactly. So, all right, any uh, closing comments? You know, I'm just really excited for this season. Um, I, After last year, I thought that this year was going to be one of those complete rebuilding years where you go into the season with no expectations and and you do that in a bad way you know you you just kind of go into the season just in a mode of all right yeah football's back but let's get it over with because it's going to be ugly yeah. um i'm really excited about this season from an oregon perspective i i'm excited about our coaching staff I'm excited about the renewed enthusiasm. Um, and I think this Pac-12 season, partly because the South is so muddy, I think there could be a lot of crazy things happening in the conference that'll be really entertaining from a fan perspective. Yeah. Or who knows? Maybe this is one of those uh, one of those seasons where everything just goes absolutely haywire and all these teams just start beating the, the crap out of each other. Like, that could if, be fun. Yeah, like what if uh like let's see here. What if uh who is opening with Texas AM? Like what if UCLA just comes out and just beats the pants off of Texas AM? Then Kevin Sumlin will be fired on an airplane, just like Lane Kiffin and Reince Priebus before him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If, um, if 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 Texas A&M loses in convincing fashion to UCLA, that's game over. The Aggies are going to have a new head coach next year. Do you think the UCLA Texas A&M game is like a loser leaves town game? Uh, I don't think that either of those teams would fire their head coach after Week One. But do you think but that I, could be indicative, basically? Oh, oh yeah. So yeah. one of those I, one of those coaches is getting fired. I, I think if Jim Mora or Kevin Sumlin goes five and seven or worse, they're both gone. In my opinion. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. Can't wait. I'm excited. What what, what are your closing comments? Um I'm just excited for football to be back. I'm just excited for football to be back. It's a great time to be alive. Yeah. So, all right. So the next steps are we just going to basically go through some of the some of the schedule. 
We're going to do some position uh, breakdowns once we get a little more from the practice reports and get a feel for where everybody is. Um, so in the meantime, leave a comment, uh, and we'll see you guys probably at the end of this week. Um, given that this is probably going to go up on uh, like August 6th or something along, along those lines. Uh, or maybe just uh, the week the week after that. So go ducks. Go ducks.